Thank you, Matt, and the accompanists and choir for leading us in worship. Did a beautiful job this morning. Good to be uh, with Matt again, Nick, and your beautiful family. Good to see you, and uh, certainly Pastor Richard. I appreciate uh, the privilege of, of being here again and stewarding this pulpit and uh, being able to uh, get reacquainted with the good folk uh, here at Bloomfield Baptist. And we got some uh, folk from Mount Washington First Baptist who traveled down this morning. It's uh, certainly good to see them again. Uh, let me add my congratulations uh, to the church for uh, paying down that debt and getting that uh, closed out and, and to know that, especially over the course of the last few years, that, uh, that you've continued to grow in your missions giving in the midst of uh, paying off that debt is a great testimony to the faithfulness of the church and certainly to the Lord's faithfulness and the provision of all things. And uh, Along those lines, let me give you a quick update before we look at God's Word this morning. Uh, just in, in how uh, that mission work is ongoing in Kentucky and beyond. I know you're doing a lot here in the community to share uh, the good news of the gospel, and I praise the Lord for that. Uh, but you're doing things throughout the state as well. There are now 1,260 abused and neglected kids that, uh, that as you put your money in the offering plate, uh, you're helping love and, and, and care for uh, through our children's homes. And one of those uh, kids from Sunrise Children's Services or Kentucky Baptist Homes for Children uh, is in my home. Our little foster daughter Lily is five and she's been with us almost two years now. And uh, thank you for blessing our family and allowing us uh, to provide a, a safe place and a family uh, for, uh, for little Lily. And thank you for touching the lives of uh, Lily, hundreds of other kids across this state as well. Uh, thank you for loving people and uh, disaster-stricken areas across the nation and beyond as you've uh, gave uh, through the cooperative program this year the ministry of uh, Kentucky Baptist Disaster Relief was a very uh, needful ministry especially this year a very active ministry you had volunteers in Houston Texas and in Florida and in Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands uh, and doing doing some uh, disaster relief work in terms of feeding the hungry as far away as Africa and you provide for that just as you put your money in the offering plate, a part of that goes uh, to the combined work of Kentucky Baptists through the cooperative program. There are 50 new church plants uh, that you're helping fund across the state. We thank the Lord uh, for you providing a place of worship uh, and a, a witness to the gospel in 50 new locations uh, in Kentucky. Uh, and all of that is in addition to those 3,600 missionaries who are taking the gospel to the very ends of the earth and you're providing for that, and really so many dozens and dozens of other things. I'll stop there, but I just wanted to take a moment today and say thank you, church, uh, for all that you are doing, and to make you aware, just give you an update uh, on uh, at least a part of those things. Uh, during this season of the year with the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and, and our emphasis on overseas mission work, we're going to turn our attention to a passage of Scripture that may not be uh, known as the first place you turn in your Bible if you're thinking about uh, the mission of uh, getting the gospel to the nations. But I believe it's a very helpful passage. You might first think of the Great Commission in Matthew. You might think of Acts 1-8 and the need to be witnesses for Christ uh, at home and abroad. But we're going to turn to the Bible's last words. Let me invite you, if you have a Bible handy, just open the back cover there and you'll find where you need to be. We're in the Last Testament, the last book, and the last chapter, and the last two verses of the Bible. Revelation 22, verses 20 and 21. Revelation 22, 
verses 20 and 21. This is how God's book closes. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. And amen. It's not just simply in these last couple of verses, but in fact it's throughout this chapter that we hear a word about the Lord's coming again. Uh, Scripture points us to the coming Messiah through the Old Testament. He comes. He does His good work on the cross, laying down His life for us. And all the while during His ministry leading up to the cross, He is promising that there will be another coming, that He will come again. Then the resurrection takes place, His ascension. And the theme of the preaching of the church becomes, Jesus has come, and He's paid the price of sin. And He is coming again. When I think about that message of Christ's coming, and I think about hearing it taught and preached throughout my lifetime, it seems to me that, that we don't emphasize that as much as we once did, at least from my personal experience growing up in a Baptist church in a small town over in the mountains, just about like Bloomfield Baptist. It seems to me that there's a little more emphasis, at least when I was a boy there, uh, than I often hear today. Uh, matter of fact, the attitude oftentimes that, that seems to come across when we begin to talk about Jesus coming again goes something like this. Oh yeah, that's a good thing, I'm for it. But you don't mean today, right? <laughs> Jesus is coming again. Oh, yes, that's great. But not like right now, right? And the thinking seems to be, well, I, 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 I think that would be awesome, but there's a few more things that I want to do before then. <laughs> a few more places I want to go. A few more experiences I want to have. And so I'm not against it. I just don't know how much I'm for it if you mean right this very moment. You know, one of the images that the Bible uses to help us understand the church, the nature of the church, is that of a bride. The Bible refers to the church as the bride of Christ. And of course, Jesus being the groom. In fact, just a couple of chapters back from where we're reading here in Matthew 22, there's a passage that, that brings that message home in a very strong way. Back up with me, if you would, to chapter 19, Revelation 19, and let me read, beginning of verse 6 and reading down through verse 9. If you're familiar with the book of Revelation, then you know that, that much of it is devoted to a description of, of a series of visions that John, a servant of the Lord, has been given from the Lord to help him understand the things that are taking place in his day and and, and they're very symbolic about things that were going to soon take place and, and, and truly about some things that are still taking place in our day and, 
and some things that have yet to take place, but at this point in describing what he's seeing and hearing, we find John in Revelation 19, beginning in verse 6, saying this, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And His bride, who's the bride? It's the church. His bride, the church, has made herself ready. It was granted her, verse 8, to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. There's the picture. The bride is ready for her wedding day. Verse 9, the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So there's a beautiful picture there of what it will look like when Christ comes to claim His church. It, 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 it's symbolized in a, in a wedding event. A great time of celebration, of joy and of happiness. He's blessed are those who are able to be there, who are a part of the wedding itself. Pastor Richard has uh, been here with you seven years and has now entered his eighth year of ministry. I think that's just a beautiful thing. I'm so thankful for his life, his ministry. It's, it's good to see a former student go out and make good as a pastor. And I'm thankful that you've had the privilege of uh, Richard and his family serving here with you, and they have the privilege of serving here with you. But over the course of you know, seven plus years now, you've done a few weddings here at Bloomfield Baptist Pastor. Anyone in the room who, who was married at Bloomfield Baptist here? Yeah, we've got a few hands going up, had a few hands going up in and, and, uh, first service too. Uh, I don't suppose you'd have to do a lot to get this church ready for a wedding. What a beautiful sanctuary and beautiful facility you have. And, uh, I, I guess if it's wedding day, you probably move the pulpit out and the, the communion table out and uh, kick these uh, uh, monitor speakers somewhere to the side. And you, you just imagine with me, I don't know what it looked like when you were married here or the weddings you've attended here, but, but let's imagine for a moment it's wedding day at Bloomfield Baptist. And, and so we have uh, the officiating minister who we're going to uh, pretend is Richard and he's standing here at the front and and off to his right, you've got that pretty little flower girl and the maid of honor and all the bridesmaids. And, and they're probably uh, sprinkled down the steps and maybe out to the side over on the bride's bridal party side of, of the wedding. And, and then over on the other side, you've got the groomsman and, of course, the best man standing here and, and the ring bearer. And that little uh, ring bearer fella, I always, Pastor, I always give very specific instructions uh, to the best man about that little guy, and, and, and to the best man, I say something like this. I want you to take your right hand, I want you to put it on his right shoulder. I want you to take your left hand, I want you to put it on his left shoulder. And you're to hold on to that boy, and you're not to let go of him till this thing's over. <laughs> I mean, you just never know what those little guys are going to do, and, and I've sort of seen it all. I saw one break loose in the middle of one wedding, and and uh, he took off running to the side, and I thought, oh, great, he's leaving. But he wasn't leaving. He stopped at the wall, and he turned around, and he sized things up, and he took a run, and he did somersault flip-flops all the way across the front of the sanctuary 
till he got to the other wall. And of course, everybody was entertained by that, which was fine. I was just thankful the bride was entertained by it because things could have turned really badly at that moment in time. But, but again, thankfully they didn't. But here we are. Everything's ready. Everybody's here. The groom's at the front. And he's waiting for his bride. And the piano begins to play uh, Canon D. I was told it was. Don't know much about music, but I was told it's Canon D is what they play when the bridal party match, marches in and then the bride's coming in. We all know what to do at that moment, don't we? We hear the song and, and we stand in the honor of the bride and we turn and, and the double doors are open and there, there she is. And she has her veil on and her dress on and she's beautiful. And she's standing under the arm of her father right at the back. And we're watching and we're waiting and we're anticipating that walk down the aisle. But she's not moving. <laughs> and it looks like uh, she struck up a conversation back there with her daddy. And we can't hear her because she's way back there and the piano's playing. But if we could, here's what she's saying. She's saying, now daddy, you know I want to get married. I'm just not sure I want to do it today. Daddy, do you mind to go in and, and tell our friends and family uh, how thankful we are that they're here and, and we're going to have us a wedding. We're just not going to do it today. Oh my! <laughs> Poor old boy standing down here at the altar. What's going on? Best case scenario, I guess it's a case of cold feet. Worst case scenario, maybe it's not that old boy down at the altar who she's got on her mind. Maybe another has stolen her heart. When the bride of Christ, the church, thinks about the Lord's coming again and our first thought is, well, does that have to be today? Might it be that another has stolen our heart? Might it be that we've fallen more in love with the things the Lord has created and allowed us to enjoy than the one who created them and the one who bought and paid for us? The one who loves us with the eternal love the one who has promised to come and claim us. Church, how can we be sure that we're loving the Lord and longing for His coming? That we'll be ready for Him when He comes? How can we be sure that those around us have the opportunity to be ready for His coming? I, I want to share some truths with you out of Revelation 22 that just sort of get to the heart of what this passage, I believe, is about. The message of it, the emphasis of it, the Bible's last words to us. What do the Bible's last words teach us specifically about missions? And my first response to that question is this. The church must proclaim Jesus' coming. The church must proclaim Jesus' coming. We're to proclaim His coming because it is imminent and because it is exclusive. 
first word of proclaim is coming because it's imminent. I mentioned that it's not just in this last couple of verses of Revelation 22 that we find the Lord's coming emphasized. In fact, there's at least four times in this chapter you find that same emphasis. So let's go back and see some of those verses. And we begin with verse 7. That's the first occurrence. The Lord Jesus is speaking in this vision to John. And in Revelation 22, verse 7, He says, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So there Jesus says it straight up. I'm coming soon. There's a second reference down in verse 10. Skip down with me. He said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. What time is near? The time of the Lord's coming. It is near. It is imminent. That's the second reference. The third is down in verse 12. Again, Jesus speaking in the vision. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each for what he has done. And then there's a fourth reference, and we've already read it in verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And John responds by saying, Amen. Four times. Is it a coincidence? I don't think so. I think it's very much on purpose that the Lord left us, as we find Scripture revealed, the Lord left us with this urgency, this emphasis, this sense of awareness that He is coming and that He is coming soon and yet nearly 2,000 years have passed and he's not come now what are we to make of that I think there's an indication of how we can understand it within this chapter itself and I want to point you to verse 11 Revelation 22 verse 11 but as we look at verse 11 let me warn you that the first part of that verse doesn't sound very much like Bible Let's read it. Let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy. Now, that doesn't sound much like Bible, does it? If you're doing evil, keep on doing evil. If you're a filthy old sinner, you keep on being a filthy old sinner. That doesn't sound very much like Bible. Could, Could you imagine, you know, Jonah, when he finally made it to Nineveh, preaching to the Ninevites a message that went something like this. Oh, you sorry Ninevites. Just keep on being sorry, Ninevites. No, that wasn't the message Jonah finally, unwillingly, but finally came to preach, was it? No, Jonah came to warn the people of the coming judgment of God and to tell them to turn from their sin. John the Baptist came preparing the way for the Lord and the Bible says that he went out and preached and he preached about the scribes and the Pharisees and he preached to the uh, religious people who, 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 who were all caught up in their traditions. Did John the Baptist preach, y'all just keep doing what you're doing? No. He said repent and make ready for the coming of the Lord. He called the people to turn from their sin and to turn to the Savior. Peter preached at Pentecost. And the Bible says those who heard him were pricked to the heart when they heard the gospel and they cried out, what must we do to be saved? And Peter didn't say, just keep on doing what you're doing. No, Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sin. Turn from your rebellion against God and turn to the Lord. And so, how do we make sense of 
of this strange verse in the Bible that says, no, don't, don't, don't turn. If you're doing evil, keep doing evil. If you're filthy, stay filthy. Now, it sounds better at the last half of it because it says the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. And, and that sounds more like Bible. If, if you're serving the Lord, if, you, if you're trying to live a righteous life, you just keep right on doing that. But this verse is understood, as is all Scripture, in the context of the passage where it appears. What is this chapter about? This chapter is about the Lord's coming. And the point is this. When Jesus comes, it will be too late to repent and turn from our sin. It will be too late to be saved. And so when He comes, the one who is in sin might as well continue in sin. The one who is saved will continue to be saved because there is an opportunity that is before us now that we will not have then. And that opportunity is for us to share the gospel with those who haven't heard it in hope that they'll believe and repent and trust and be saved. And those of us who hear it who have not repented and trusted Christ and be saved, the opportunity is before us now to do that. And that opportunity will no longer exist on the day of His coming. And here is what the Lord is trying to convey to us through His Word. There is a sense of urgency that must accompany the preaching of the Gospel. There's a sense of urgency that is connected to our work of missions. It is our job to proclaim Christ's coming because His coming is imminent. And when He comes, it will be too late for those who are lost to be saved. His coming is imminent. But it's also exclusive. That is to say, well, let me say this in my native tongue, which is hillbilly. He ain't coming for everybody. The Lord's not coming for everyone. He's coming for His church. He's coming for those who, who are His. Looking again at the passage, I think there's some indication of this in verse 7. Where we read this. Jesus says in the vision, Behold, I'm coming soon. And notice... He says, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. He says, I'm coming soon. And he doesn't say blessed is everyone when I come. No, he says, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. What are the words of the prophecy of the book? Well, the book is about His coming. The Scriptures are about God creating the world, the world falling into sin, and then a Messiah, a Savior being promised. And we read throughout the pages of the Old Testament this, this build up to a great climax when God would provide a way for redemption, a way for salvation. The coming of the Savior is promised and then He comes. And we read about His life in the Gospels and we read about the price that He paid for our sin. We read about what He did for you and for me and for all who would trust in Him to find forgiveness, to be adopted into God's family, to have the hope of heaven. And then Jesus dies. Then He is raised. Then He ascends to the Father. And then the church is left to proclaim. The Savior has come. 
And he's coming again. Make ready. And those who have believed, trusted Christ, those who have heard the gospel and trusted in the Savior, the gospel is about. He's coming for them. Not for everyone. For those who are His. on a mission trip some time back. We had traveled to West Africa with a very large team. And been gone a couple of weeks, uh, when we landed at the Louisville airport on the last leg of flights on the way home, man, I was glad to feel the wheels touch the ground. And we, we all got off the plane and we made our way up through that security checkpoint. And there was a large crowd of people who were there to greet us. I think there was... I don't know, maybe 25 of us who had been on the trip. And, and so there was people from the church and family members who were there. And, and I knew just about everybody who was gathered there and uh, jamming up the way for passengers to come through. But, but as I walked into and through that crowd, I, I didn't even slow a step. I, I, I didn't hardly turn to anyone, maybe just a nod here or a quick handshake. I just kept right on walking. Why is that? I wasn't trying to be rude, but it may have seemed rude. I kept right on walking because I'd already spotted right at the back of that crowd was a curly-headed blonde that I picked out when she was 14 years old. Now, I didn't marry her when she was 14. We're from the mountains, but we waited. <laughs> we waited just a little while. Both of our grandmothers married at 14, but, but we, we waited a little while, but Tell you, who I was coming home for, who I'd been missing, was my bride. And there at her side was my son, and on the other side was my daughters. And, and that's, that's who I was coming home to see. The Bible says a glorious day is coming. And the Lord is coming for His adopted sons and daughters. He's coming for His church. And, and, and it will be an eternally glorious day for all who are His from then on. Because we'll be with Him. And we'll enjoy His presence. And we'll enjoy His kingdom. Where there, Revelation 21 tells us that there'll be no more sorrow or crying or pain or death. Just the glory of His presence. But for those who aren't His... That will mark an eternally dreadful day because at that moment in time, those who have refused to let Him in their lives, those who have refused to believe in His Gospel and to trust in Him, from that moment in time, they'll forever be separated from Him. They'll be forever separated from God who is the source of everything that is good, the Bible tells us. And you think about what that means and the, the images that, that that brings to mind. The Bible says that God is love. Now, if you're separated from love and the source of love, what remains? The hatred of hell. The Bible says that, that the Spirit of God is our comforter. Now, if you're separated from, from comfort and the source of comfort forever, what remains? The grieving and the sorrow of hell. The Bible says Christ is our joy. If you're separated from joy and a source of joy forever, what remains? 
the agony of hell. The Bible says Jesus is your life. If you're separated from life and the source of life, what remains? It's the eternal death of hell. And that's why we call it hell. And I like love, and I like comfort, and I like joy, and I like life. And I don't want hell. I don't want it for me, and I don't want it for anybody I care about. I don't want it for a stranger, do you? And so the message that has been given to the church is that there is love, and there is comfort, and there is joy, and there is life, and it's to be found. In Christ. His coming is imminent. His coming is exclusive. And so we are called to proclaim His coming. And finally, we're called to pray for His coming. I love the way John responds there in verse 20 when for the fourth time he hears that Jesus is coming soon. Notice it. Let me, let me just reread the verse. He who testifies these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Here's John's response. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. John must have been a good Baptist. He heard something he liked. He said, Amen. Preacher made a good point. Amen. What, what, what does that mean? Well, in the, in the, in the Greek, it's, it's amen. We just sort of borrowed that word. We didn't translate it. We transliterate it. We just bring the foreign word in the English language. But literally, if you wanted to translate it, it means let it be or let it happen, let it become. It's, it's simply a way of, of, a, of agreeing with something. And so Jesus says, uh, in essence, four times, I'm coming soon. John hears that, and he doesn't say, well, I guess that's all right, Lord. But You're not talking about today, right? No, John says, really? Soon? Soon the shackles from my wrists would fall. And from my ankles they've cut through skin and flesh to the very bone. And, and soon I'd be lifted out of the, the stench of death around me in this prison cell. Soon I'd be free. Soon, Lord, You'd come. Soon You'd come for those who are suffering. For those who are in prison, soon you'd come to ease the grieving of parents whose children have been decapitated, burned at the stake, taken from them, simply because they bear your name. Soon, Lord, you'd come. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. John prays. Church, understand this is a good promise from the Lord. It's something to look forward to, to long for, even to pray for. And while we may enjoy unique comforts and security, at least seemingly, in Bloomfield, Kentucky, or in the United States of America, across the world, the church suffers persecution today even more than in John's day. Far more than in any day. Are our brothers and sisters in Christ being slaughtered around the world simply because they refuse to stop naming His name? They refuse to stop preaching His gospel. They refuse to deny that He is Lord. And they lose their freedom for it and they lose their job for it and many lose their life for it. 
And the Lord has promised, I'm coming for my church. When I was a little boy, age of two, my younger brother was one and my older brother was four. Our mother left our home. And our father raised us from, from then on. It was a little unique in 1972 for, for the dad to get custody of the kids, but that's the way it happened in our case. Our mother had visitation rights, and she'd pick us up uh, from time to time for a weekend or uh, during the summer, maybe stay a week for, with her while, while we were out of school. But I remember some of the handoffs uh, didn't go all that well. Divorces touched about all our families, so you probably know what I'm talking about. You know, when the kids are handed off from one parent to the other, or, or maybe a grandparent drops them off, picks them up, what have you. And, and I remember in our case, uh, you know, Dad a lot of times would find one boy wrapped around one leg, another boy wrapped around another leg, another one holding him on the waist. Oh, Daddy, don't make us go. Please, can't we, can't we stay? And it's not that our mother mistreated us. It's just that Dad was the one raising us, the one taking care of us. That was home. That's what we were used to. It's what we liked. On top of that, you, you couldn't take your dirt bike, your BB gun. <laughs> Can't we just stay home? I remember there was something Dad would, would always do that would uh, sort of lessen the emotions of those moments. He was a tall man. He, he'd kneel down. He'd get down on our level and have us in front of him. And he'd say this. He'd say, boys, go on with your mother. It'll be okay. I'll be to get you. Boys, go on. You, you, you do what I'm asking you to do. It, it's all going to be fine. I promise you. I'll be to get you. My dad never lied to us, and we knew that about him. If he made you a promise, he kept it. And so the moment we had that reassurance, that changed everything. And we'd dried up, and we'd get in line, and we'd go. And sure enough, it was always fine. And sure enough, He always came. If you belong to the Lord, if you've confessed your sins, and you've confessed Him as Savior, if you've trusted in what He did on the cross, that it was for you. In the power of His resurrection, you've believed. Then He's made you a promise. The promise is, I'll be to get you. And so what He says as He closes the book is this. You go on and you do what I've asked you to do. It'll be okay. So I'm coming to get you. You go on and you, you, you keep sharing the gospel. I know some of them turn the other way when they see you coming. They, they, it seems they don't even want to hear it, but that's okay. not your job to save anybody. It's just your job to share with those who are here. And so you keep on doing it. Don't worry about anything else. It'll be okay. He'll be to get you. You go on, you take up that cross another day and you follow Jesus. Now, I don't know how heavy the cross is for you right now, how hard it is to carry, how painful it is. You know what that feels like? I don't. We each have our own cross to bear. 
the Lord says to you, you take it up another day. And you follow me today. I'll be to get you. Church, that's a good promise. It's the best. Let me invite you to stand. As we come this morning to a time of commitment, if as you've thought about it, you realize that you're not ready, that if the Lord were to come today, you have no assurance that that you be with Him, that He's coming for you because you know you've not turned from your sin and turned to Him. You've not trusted Him. You've not surrendered your life to Him and confessed Him as Lord. I want you to hear me say today, there's no more important, no more urgent matter in your life than that matter. What would stand between you and the Lord today? What would be worth putting off Forgiveness and the promise of heaven. What's worth it? Nothing. Nothing. Too much is at stake. And today the Lord has tarried. He's not come. And today, right now, this moment, you have yet another opportunity to give your life to Him. And if you do that, We want to celebrate it with you. So, pastor's going to be standing here at the front. We're going to sing. I want to invite you to come. Maybe you've got questions about what would that that take? What what, what do I need to do specifically? Brother Richard can answer those questions. You come. Maybe you're already saved, but there's somebody on your mind today who's not. And you know that if the Lord were to come today, if they were to die and face Him in the judgment, that as far as you know, They have no hope of being with Him, but would forever be from Him. I would encourage you this morning to come to the altar and pray for them. Pray that the Lord would give you another opportunity to share with them. Pray that the Lord would save them. I believe the Lord would hear and honor those prayers. Maybe you're here and the Lord's leading you to be a part of this church. Pastor and I were talking this morning. Still plenty of people in this community don't know the Lord, don't have a place in their life for the Lord. And I know Bloomfield Baptist would welcome you to come and serve with them as they share the love of Christ. However God is dealing with you, you come.